Our apologies for this sermon starting abruptly. The first few minutes are unfortunately missing. Bring the renewal of all things. He would change all things. And now that he himself, Jesus, the Messiah King had come, expressions of faith in God were to take on a different focus. Now that the kingdom of God was at hand. Now that the kingdom of God had been revealed through Jesus. And so Jews and non-Jews, they were having disagreements over some, some very personal some very deep-rooted issues. Consider circumcision, just for fun. <laughs> I mean, that's a major commitment, right? <laughs> Talk about having skin in the game. <laughs> I had to do that. But it was, it, it, <laughs> it was a sign of... It was a sign of the covenant promise that God made to Abraham and his descendants, that he would be their God, that they would be his people, that they would multiply and bless the world. That's what the sign of circumcision was for. To not be circumcised or not have your kids circumcised was like saying, we're not not God's people. We're We're not part of God's promise. I mean, it went against everything that the early followers of Yahweh wrapped into their whole lives. And so this was big. Yet Jesus goes and says, later he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And he talks about his crucifixion and how we must place our trust in Jesus. How sin is washed away and we become part of God's family. And we're now God's people filled with his spirit who will transform us to look more and more like Jesus. This is what baptism is all about. Baptism shows how our old selves, we've died, and then we've been raised with Christ. Resurrected new creations. That's the picture. And so as a Jew, circumcision is what you did. You put your kids through it, or anyone who wanted to be part of the Jewish community. They got circumcised. But now these Gentiles, they're coming in and they're saying, that's not necessary. Instead, baptism is. Why did circumcision, why was circumcision so big? One, one, uh, we did circumcision. And the other ones are like, no, get dunked in water. You see the conflict? They're like, we, this was embedded in us, and, there, and now it's a whole new way of, of thinking. It's a, a new, whole new picture. And so there was a powder keg of confusion going on in the church, no matter what the, what the differences were. And Paul spends chapters 1 through 11 putting everyone on a level playing field, Jew and Gentile. And so, Romans 12, 1 starts out, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, because it's times like this and situations like this which the whole gospel understood changes everything. So Paul spends 11 chapters prior showing this, that the mercies of God are available to every person. Looking back over 11 chapters, Paul shows how humanity has rebelled against God. He shows how humanity is trapped in sin and needs rescue. And then he breaks any religious, ethnic, or nationalistic barriers by showing that it's through trusting in Jesus that we're given a new status, a new family, and a new future. That's huge. This is what it means to be justified by faith. It's not just about our personal salvation. It's also about how we're brought into God's family and we have a new purpose. Personal salvation, it's a common term of sorts. It's just that salvation is so much more than personal. 
God's building a giant, multi-ethnic family, and we get to be part of it. We get to be part of that family as his sons and daughters, and the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, now lives in us, Romans 8 says. It's given us new life, resurrection life, eternal life now, new creations brought into the family of God, walking out the ways of God, led by the Spirit, and it's causing us to respond to God in worship instead of rebellion. That's, what, that's what's working in us. God is starting where their problem originated, the hearts of men. Romans 2 speaks about that. And as Romans 8 tells us, we are those he is renewing to become more and more like Jesus, made into his image. It's a hope. This is a hope for us. And as we're being transformed by God, we have this new purpose, to be gospel witnesses displaying the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. As those who place their trust in Jesus, we're part of the mission of God to redeem and to restore this world. We're part of what God is doing amidst the brokenness that we all experience. So in summary, when we are saved, we're given a new status, we're given a new family, and we're given a new future. That puts a whole larger picture on what it means to be saved. And all of this is the mercy of God for our lives. And Paul lays this, these truths out in, a, in another letter in a nice summary form. So let's look at that. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 8. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, that's Jesus, he saved us not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy through the washing and regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He poured out his spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that so having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs. Get that new status, new family? We might become heirs with the hope of eternal life. And this saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. Hear that? That's a, that's a new purpose. Good works. We have a new future too. And this is the story of God and where we fit in. This is the gospel. God reigns. His kingdom is advancing. He's bringing all nations into his family. And this is the good news for those who see God as merciful and want to be part of his family. Paul spends 11 chapters talking about the mercies of God because it's only in believing God's story and where they fit in that the Jesus followers in Rome can begin to work together with those who may be very different from them. Paul knows it truly is the only way that there'll be a faithful gospel witness in their city. Moving on, Romans, well, moving on into Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Now, in Romans 12, verse 1, Paul makes sure to say, brothers and sisters, you who are in God's family together, as you understand God's mercy, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And as we understand the mercies of God and that we have received those mercies, we're called to offer all that we are as we consider the mercies that we've been recipients of. The whole gospel is for the whole person. Now, Paul makes clear that our faith is not only intellectual, but also tangible. 
He shows how God's mercy must compel us to offer all of our being in worship. God's spirit brings renewal to our lives as we are being transformed more and more into Jesus' likeness. It's a process, often called sanctification. And God is changing us. He's molding and shaping us. He's, he's shaping our minds. He's shaping our actions and our hearts. And this is the supernatural work of God as he brings people into his family and transforms them into new creations. The whole gospel is for the whole person. Yet, some of you might say, it's a slow process. We might say that about others. <laughs> we might see hints of Jesus in people, but we're like, God, what is taking so long? Where's the breakthrough? Why? You know. And you're right. God does have a lot of work to do, a lot of supernatural work to do. We're all a mess. We're all a work in progress. We're all being molded and shaped by our creator. And that's why we must remember the mercies of God. We must know his story, where we fit in, where we fit in as his people who have been brought into his family. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind, and as we grasp the mercies of God, we'll more and more of ourselves, we'll offer our lives in worship to God. So to set up our lives as the world would have us do, as opposed to looking to the mercies of God, to set up our lives to conform to this age would actually be the antithesis of what we were made for. We were made for worship as we look to the mercies of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10 elaborate on this some. But God, who, by the way, this is what Becca uh, shared with us at the congregational mic this morning. And she didn't know that I was speaking this, but hear these words. May they be rich to your soul. Remember the mercies of God. Even now we're being formed. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made, alive, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. See, we were forgiven, but now we're new creations. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. And this means now, currently, we're with Jesus in a supernatural way. I know it's hard to believe, but he, he seated us with him in the heavens, in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, that's the future, now and forward, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from, our, from yourselves. It is God's gift. Praise God. Not from works, so that no one could boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. And as God's people, we have been intimately designed, his workmanship, his masterpiece, for his purposes. And this is why Paul urges I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. But notice, it says holy and pleasing there. Let me, let me remind everyone in this room, including myself, we are already holy and pleasing to God. We have been brought into his family. We have been forgiven. This is, this is, this is our identity. Now worship with all you are, Paul says, and all that God has made you to be, worship. 
And because of Jesus, you're, you're holy and pleasing to God. You've been given this new status, this new family, this new future. And when Jesus said, it is finished on the cross, it's not about the sacrifice of bulls and goats anymore. He says elsewhere. He took our sin. He took our punishment. And by placing our trust in Jesus, we are, we are now forgiven as children, new purpose, because we have been made by God to worship with our lives. This is what we were made for, Gulf Coast. You are holy. You're pleasing to God. You're saved. A spotless, perfect, pleasing sacrifice for God. Why? Because of what Jesus did. Not because of what you've done. Thank God for that. And yet there's a tension here. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Don't be conformed to this age. Do not follow the patterns of this world, the NIV says, in such a way that you are formed or made by all that is around you. Don't let all these things form you. Paul lays out in Romans 1 what this age looks like, the patterns of this world that can shape us. Romans 1.28 starts out, because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. And although they know God's just sentence that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, do them, but applaud others who practice them. This warning here, it's real. We can be conformed to this age, and we need to be aware of this. If you look at this list, many of us even, those who follow Jesus, can be tempted to live in this way. And this is the antithesis of what it means to be human. If you look at this list that I just read, it's, 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 it's what breeds brokenness. It's what breeds and, and consume, consumes others. It tears one another apart, these things, even, even disobedient to parents. I mean, even that is like, I don't trust you, my, my mom and dad, who are trying to form me, who are trying to point me in the right direction. I'm going to rebel against you. There, there's this... this this ripping apart of what we're called to be, and it can capture any of us. And so the warning here is real. Paul exhorts, instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is what fights. We don't want to fall into this category in Romans 1 where it says, they knew God's just sentence, but they practice such things, and they even applaud those who practice them. It's like they know it's wrong, but then they're still like, yes, let's live that way. And, and we have to be careful as the church that that doesn't sneak into the way we live, the way we handle arguments, disagreements, the way we work with one another. And, and even when someone rubs us the wrong way or we see them doing something we don't think they should do, that's why gossips are in there. And how we speak about one another. It doesn't mean everything has to be fluffy, but it does mean that we shouldn't tear someone down in a way that would harm them, that would breed other sins 
Because sin does not just affect us, it affects others as well. And so we must learn, reflect, and consider how every part of our lives should respond to the mercies of God. We must know, we must know the story of God and where we fit in as, as his kingdom citizens, as his, as his sons and daughters, as his ambassadors, as his image bearers. We must know this. This is a question that we must ask ourselves and put through the filter of our lives. Am I living this way? Am I living in my identity? And this can't only be in the couple of hours that we're together on a Sunday morning. Otherwise, we're going to look more like whatever else is forming us the other 166 hours of our seven-day week. I mean, it's just reality. For two hours here, 166 hours elsewhere, what's forming us? And so if our lives do not reflect the truths of God, but instead more look like our culture and society believe, we probably need to be more familiar with the mercies of God. Maybe you can't seem to find purpose or motivation. Maybe you're trapped in anxiety or fear. Maybe sin is consuming you. My prayer is that the mercies of God will be clearer and clearer to you. And this is why we must be reading Scripture. This is why we must be spending time with other followers of Jesus. We can't do this alone. This is why we need to take time and and listen and reflect on God's word, what he's saying to us. We're such a busy life. It's almost like boom, 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 and then we just go on our our daily. But we see Jesus. He takes time with the Father. He's reflecting often. He's in prayer, talking to God. He carves that out in his day as if it's vital. Why? Because it is. Jesus did it. We must. So how are podcasts, news channels, the music choices that you have, the social media feeds that just come into your minds, how, how, how are they shaping you? How are our friendships, the, your, the habits that we have, and our hobbies forming us? And often, if you follow the path of your time, energy, and money, I think you'll begin to see what has your attention, and in turn, what's forming you. This is a good evaluation for us at all times. Has something come in and crowded out your vision of God's mercies? The gospel doesn't just change our thinking. It transforms every part of us. Now, the whole gospel is for the whole person, and it's for the whole church. Read with me verse 3 of chapter 12. For the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you to not think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, Paul starts out verse 3 recognizing that it's only by the grace given to him that he can even say the words that he's saying, and he can only pen this letter to the Romans as he does. It's God's grace. It's a gift given to him. And he goes on to elaborate how we are given some measure of faith by God, and in turn, He allows us to use different gifts that he's given us. Paul's using his gift right now as he wrote this letter. There's gifts that abound among us. And and what's, what's important to notice here is that Paul stresses we each have various gifts, but they're supposed to work in unison as we function together as one body. And as we, the family of God, we use our gifts, we're taking part in reminding one another of the mercies of God. Read with me in verse 4. 
Now as many parts, now we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function. In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching and teaching, if exhorting and exhortation, giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. The picture here, though, is a body with many parts, a body with many members. And these different parts of the body, they don't have the same function. Yet each part needs each other. Each part is vital to each other. There's nothing individualistic about this. And as we look at the gifts listed here, there's two things to notice. One is this list is not exhaustive. Paul, he lists several different gifts here, um, and he also does in, in other letters that he's written. But even if you compile every gift mentioned, I would encourage you to not put the gifts in a box. Pun intended. Don't put the gifts in a box, meaning you're going to see in different areas of Scripture these gifts, these gifts, these gifts. And, I, and, and there's categories. That's, there's nothing wrong with categories. It's kind of like systematic theology. There's categories for the characteristics of God and how he works. But we can't put God in a box either. And so just as God is, is, is more immeasurable and, and, and magnificent than we can even contain in words and organize, I would suggest that even the gifts that he gives us can't be all wrapped up into one package. And so, if we can't put God in a box, let's not put the gifts that he can give us in a box either. So God's grace is boundless. Each person is unique, and the needs of others are ever-changing. And so these gifts, he can give them as he chooses, and he can give them as the needs arise. And everything is is so ever-changing. The needs, even in us as a body, are changing at every time. And so God, may he continue to give us gifts and may we use them to serve one another and build each other up in love, whatever those are. But I like to say, if you take a spiritual gift test, just be cautious not to put them in a box, but instead strengthen each other as God gives you the faith to do. And that leaves the door wide open. Paul is saying, whatever you can do, do it to help the body function as it should. If if one of our members is weak, one of our body parts is weak, strengthen it. Whatever part, because we're vital to each other. How in love do we build one another up? And so as we look to the mercies of God, we'll even begin to want certain gifts, I believe, to build each other up in love. And there's nothing wrong with desiring certain gifts. Pray for them. Another caution here is to put what you think are your gifts in a box, saying, I, I have the gift of this, or I have the gift of that. But more so, I think, I believe that we should let others identify the gifts that they see in us. That's why we need community. If, if, if no one sees these gifts in you, you, you just might not have them. That's right. <laughs> you might want them, but you might not have them. And, that, and that's okay. That's okay. You know why? Because it's God who gives the gifts. And he knows what we need. And he knows what our body needs, every member. And we're part of that. And so how do we function to build one another up? God, I yield to you. Whatever gift you would give me, help me to just use it. 
We often don't see our own gifts, though. And so I think one practice that we could grow in as a church is sharing evidences of God's grace. I think we could do this. Um, just thinking of certain people in our body, I could go on and on and on, but I'm just going to rattle off a couple so I, that I put on a paper right away. It was uh, Karen Maloof. We all know her. Um, she, I mean, we all know she has the gift of, of, of compassion and prayer right? She, she, she just comes right up to you. Hey, how are you doing? Can I pray for you? Puts her hands, you know, and she's just praying for you, right? And it doesn't matter what. Sometimes you're like, I gotta go. And she's like, let me pray for you. <laughs> she has the faith to do that and praise God for Karen, right? Yeah. I'm gonna call out Patrick Halpin, who probably hates it that I'm doing it right now, but he has gifts upon gifts upon gifts that he's been serving our body behind the scenes, whether it's with a like, like wisdom toward uh, financial or life things. I mean, he's working all these documents and all these different, I, I can't even go into it because it's one thing after another, but it's stuff that I could never touch. And he's doing that for many members in our body in a way that would serve them, that would care for them, where they feel loved and just, just grateful. Just, uh, ugh, it's, it's amazing what he does, and I hardly know about it. Jess Eberhardt, I remember at our last members meeting, she came up here and shared how she's been connecting with some ministry that is uh, part of um, counseling, and, um, and, and because of her uh, understanding of that whole field, she connected these counselors to an orphanage in Bolivia in the exact way that they needed in that orphanage and the leaders there, and she's putting all these connections together, which also connected with other people in the body that had kind of fueled that. Gifts, gifts upon gifts, and she's, she's using them. Others are using them, working together. Ashley Warsham, the other day, this is small, but it's huge for me. She walked up to me and said something to me, and she just noticed something that was, uh, she thought it was good that I did, you know, and she noticed it and said it to me, and I, I walked away like, wow, she took the time to say that. I didn't recognize that. Thank you. You know, I just saw something. She helped me see something I didn't see. And it was loving. Pointing out evidences of God's grace is a great way to strengthen the church. We could do it in our community groups. We could do it um, the stories on Sunday. We can get up here and share what God, God is doing through different people. Um, and even in our conversations. Second thing to notice in this list is that Paul emphasizes intentionality. He says, use these gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. Notice, there's the gift, but it has to be used. There's attention there too. He could give gifts, but they're not being used. They're latent. Who among you, who, who of you have these gifts, but you're not using them? It's, it's, it's there in the text. There are many in our body that have gifts and they're not being used. So ask God, hey, what are my gifts? What needs to be used? Help me to have the faith to walk in these gifts. Uh, Rick Serdinsky. I mean, he, I talked to him a month or two ago. We were talking about Salt and Light, leading it. He's like, man, I, I don't like being the front man of anything, but I know that these groups, it's, it, you know, where we share the, the leading and the teaching, and I'm not really going to be the front man, but I still have fear. And he's talking about this, and, and look, he's using. I, I, I said, Rick, you're perfect for this group. You're perfect for leading a Salt and Light. And so I actually didn't know that he, was, that he had had the faith to actually lead one until today. And so praise the Lord, man. Praise the Lord. And others also said that he, needed to be, he, he was perfect to lead the group. There was external validation of this. 
Using our gifts to help one another, build each other up, strengthen one another. This is gospel culture. And this is why Paul sees it's vital for the church in Rome, both the individual churches and the collection of churches. And this is why it's vital for us as a church in St. Pete. It's vital for us as we labor alongside other churches in St. Pete. There's differences between churches, to be sure. But a gospel culture is one where every member offers all they have and all they are. And as we use our gifts, others will, will get a glimpse of the mercies of God. You want to you preach the gospel to someone, use your gifts. Show them the mercies of God as you display your faith to form them, to build them up. Kevin Rose says this, this is a great quote, the point of being the church is to manifest, to bear witness to, not just with words, but in the way we live together, what it means to be united in love in spite of our disagreements, in spite of the suffering that we have to go through, in spite of the gap between rich and poor and the other things that separate us. Even as we sang of God's mercies together this morning, we were reminded of God's faithfulness as we considered the words of the songs. We were displaying the faithfulness to, that faithfulness to one another as a congregation of sons and daughters. As we sang and praises together in unison, we were reminding each other that we, we've been united in Christ. We're part of a new family. And there were some of us who needed to hear each other's voices as we proclaimed those truths, as they sat next to us, worshiping. So whether it's in singing, prayer, reflecting on Scripture, Remembering Jesus through the bread and grape juice and communion. The list goes on. There are times when we are worshiping. These are times, congregational times of gospel formation. And all of these actions point us to God and his mercies. As we each participate in all that goes on, when we assemble as a congregation, we're using the gifts God has given us. Greeting others. Making connections during the five-minute break. Listening to others share their struggles. Really listening Proclaiming an amen in agreement during the sermon. Proclaiming praise after a song has finished verbally. Stooping down to talk to one of our kids. These are all the ways to use our gifts of encouragement, compassion, serving. The list goes on. What is clear is that the biblical model for church, it's not individual. It's corporate. Our worship should not stop on Sunday. And the transformation process doesn't stop on Sunday. And we need each other throughout the week as well. And we are called to be faithful gospel witnesses to our world. Now, I know we're coming down to the, to the last point, and our time is running out for this morning. And we, we covered the whole, we're covering the whole chapter of Romans. And so what I thought we could do is I would like to, to pray, even as Jerry prayed a little bit earlier, out of... Um, Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9, for us as a church. And uh, I'm going to make it in a prayer that I could just pray for us as a church. And then we'll talk about a few things that we notice in this text. So, Father, as we come to your word, we, we want to be changed by you. We need it, God. We, we want to be faithful gospel witnesses. And the gospel is not only for us, it's for the whole world. And may you, even as we pray these, these words, God, change us as a church, transform us as a church so that we would be 
a faithful gospel witness for those around us in our city and beyond. So God, may, may our love be without hypocrisy. May we detest evil and cling to what is good. Help us to love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. May we all take the lead in honoring one another, not lacking diligence and zeal, but fervent in the spirit, serving you, Lord. May we rejoice in hope and be patient in affliction. May we be persistent in prayer. May we share with the saints in their needs and pursue hospitality. May we bless those who persecute us. May we bless and not curse. May we rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Help us to live in harmony with one another. Help us to not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Help us to not be wise in our own estimation. Help us to not repay anyone evil for evil. And may we give careful thought, God, to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. And if possible, as far as it depends on us, God, help us to live at peace with everyone. Amaze us by your mercies, Lord, so that we will not avenge ourselves, but instead leave room for your wrath, because it's written, vengeance belongs to you. You will repay. And if our enemy is hungry, compel us to feed him. Oh, gospel mercy. May, we, may, may our church flow with gospel mercy, God. For if our enemy is thirsty, compel us by your mercies to give him something to drink. For you say that in doing so, we will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Father, lead us to not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. We need God's help. And his spirit awakens us to truth, brings comfort, and transforms us. And just a note on these verses Oh, this is intentionality all the way. This is not you just sit here and wait. No, it's use your gifts toward one another and for the world. There's action verbs all through here. Another thing to notice is these verses point to using our gifts toward those who are Jesus followers as well as the world. That means I'm over time. Many voices point to an intentional life that, that do cause hardship, that do cause persecution, and they can be within the church body and with those who are not. And so, a gospel culture between every member of the church is going to spill out into our neighborhoods. It's going to spill out into our city. And one way we would be an unfaithful gospel witness to our city is if we're not unified in our actions. This is why this, is, this is text is so massive for us. It's so critical. If we're not unified in our actions as the family of God, why would anyone want to be part of us? Why would anyone want to join in? Nobody's like, I want to be part of the Hatfields and McCoys. <laughs> we, have to, we have to focus on the mercies of God and walk in our gifts in love and help one another, come alongside one another. And lastly, these verses show what it means to be impacted by the gospel, so affected by the mercies of God that we see all of life as joining into the mission of God. Every, evil is everywhere, guys. Brokenness is everywhere. And yet, what is our role in this very broken, messed up world? It's to overcome evil with good. Just as God in his mercy laid down his life for us, we too are called to offer our bodies as living sacrifices for even our enemies. That's a whole new way of life. There's an interesting section in that last part where he says it's like heaping 
coals on top of your enemy's head. Here's the thing. We're not called to that. That's, that's talking about God's judgment. What we're called to do is love our enemies. That's it. That's the way of Jesus. That's the new way that we're called to walk in. God help us. So in view of God's mercies, what does it look like for you as you determine the tra- trajectory of your life? Who you'll marry, what you'll study, where you'll work? How does it fit into God's story? How, does, how do your gifts, how do, how do you fit in? What does this look like for you as you set your calendars, as you figure out your priorities, as you manage your money? What does this look like as you join in with the life of a community group or t- take part on Sundays? What, what, what should change in light of these things? What does it look like when conflicts arise, when we're wronged? And lastly, I just want to conclude with this. And maybe you're struggling to see and believe in God's mercies. Maybe you want to see faster transformation in yourself, and it seems you're not obeying what you know God is calling you toward. I think confession is a good place to start. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And I would encourage you to confess where you're struggling and ask for prayer from others. And so even the humility to confess and to ask for prayer, I think it's a grace. I think it's a gift from God to have that humility. And for God, I I think from God as that gift of humility comes and you're asking for confession or you're confessing before others, I think others see that and then they're reminded of the mercies of God. And as they pray for you, their gift of faith to pray for you expresses the mercies of God. And see how the whole body works together? And so I I thought it would be something that just to offer anyone in this room if there's any part of this that we've talked about today, if you're, if you're, if you're not seeing the mercies of God, if you're, having, if you're caught, consumed in sin, if you're just feeling like you're distant from God, maybe you feel compelled to adjust your life, your schedule. Come up here for prayer. And then let me also call those in this room who would feel the faith to pray for those who come down here, to pray for those down here. And maybe a picture of God uniting his church as he's giving people humility to confess and people faith to pray for one another. Can we do that, Gulf Coast? Not everyone will feel led to do that, and that's okay. The band will play, and they won't play super loud so that we could hear each other's prayers. Um, we'll give a benediction from up front and you can continue to pray. The good thing about praying up here is that you can continue to pray and other people won't interrupt that. And there may be a time of, rem- of remembering the mercies of God together. May we not be conformed to this age, but instead be transformed as we look to the mercies of God. So for those who would like prayer, please come forward. And for those who would like to pray with those who would like prayer, please come forward. And uh, we're closing this thing down after this, but you could stay here and pray with one another. Thank you, God, for your mercy. 
Thank you, God, for your, your kindness upon our lives. Would you continue to transform us to be more and more like Jesus? And as a church, may we display just how wonderful of a God you are. Amen.